So Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's God's word for us tonight. As uh, most of you here know, I think, we've been reading through the Old Testament as a church together. Ah, I've got to fix this bugger sometimes. All right. We've been reading through the Old Testament together uh, since January, and we've been preaching on key texts in evening worship following those readings since January. And if you've noticed, I don't know the percentages. I didn't look it up, but I bet by far most of our readings have been the narratives of the Old Testament. And that's fine. That's wonderful. The narratives are the stories in the Old Testament along the way. We've read some very familiar ones. Uh, we've also read some very interesting unfamiliar ones. Well, tonight isn't what we call a narrative, a story. Tonight we read a prophecy and it's really almost, it really is, a little sermon from Jeremiah. And this little sermon has an important message. It's important for reading and understanding the Bible well. And it's important for your own relationship with God. And it's important for my relationship with God. Before we go on, I have to tell you a story about my niece and her dad, my brother-in-law. You know that as a church, we value God's word, right? The Bible is our ultimate authority, our ultimate point of reference. That's not how society looks at the Bible, though. And, and that point of view of society and the world in general seems to be infiltrating churches even and Christians even so that we don't always have that high view and high understanding of the Bible that we ought to. Uh, we have to guard against that. We can't let that happen. Uh, we've got to stay close to God through his word. Well, the other day, my niece, Maddie, who's Hannah's age, uh, is she eight? You're nine. She's eight. She's almost nine. And then her dad, Jeff, they were reading the Bible together. It might have even been with the whole family at Family Devotions. They were reading about the 12 sons of Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Joseph, and Benjamin, and the rest. They came up to Zebulun. 
And Maddie says, wait a minute, Dad, Zebulun? And he said, yes, Zebulun. She said, that couldn't be. He said, well, it is. She said, no one would name their baby Zebulun. Jeff said, well, Jacob did. He was one of Jacob's sons. Oh, Maddie, Maddie's a persistent little girl in all things. Maddie would not buy it. She says, no, I don't believe it. Persistent. Jeff said, well, it's in the Bible. The Bible is true and right, and I'm your father, and I'm saying it's true and right. Maddie still was unpersuaded, and this is what she said. She, she got up, she left, said, well, I'm going to go look it up on the internet. <laughs> it's a cute story. She's a cute girl, but it's also, it's, it, it's an illustration of the times we're living in. We're taught in our culture that there are other more ultimate authorities, like the internet, University professors, PhDs, scientists, they know best to a lot of people. But that's not true. It's not true. So-called experts or the internet or intellectuals, they are not, while God has given them talents, they've learned a lot, we respect that, we learn a lot, but they are not our ultimate point of reference. God's word is, this word is, the Bible. God's word is our ultimate point of reference, not the internet, nothing else. But how do we read it and understand it? Because unless we read it correctly and understand it correctly, it's not going to do us any good as our ultimate point of reference, is it? There are lots of different ways people read the Bible and approach the Bible out there, and they're not all correct automatically just because someone happens to be a Christian. There are fundamentalists out there, for example, who for all practical purposes don't seem to have much use for the Old Testament. And it's 75% of the Bible, three-quarters of the Bible, as Reformed Christians, we think it's relevant. It's, it's, the Old Testament is every bit as authoritative as the New Testament. You want the Bible to be the ultimate source of reference in your life and for your families. I know you do, or you wouldn't be here. Well, then you need to have the Bible actually functioning Practically speaking, as your ultimate point of reference, you need to understand it right. A key to understanding the Bible right is to understand the whole Bible and to know how it works together and to know especially how those two testaments are related. That's very key to understanding the Bible that you want and I want as our ultimate point of reference. What's helpful is to know that there are continuities between the two similarities and there are discontinuities. There are new things. There are differences. This little sermon from Jeremiah about the new covenant 
helps us see those things. We say Old and New Testament. Testament is another word for covenant. It's just another word for covenant. And covenant's a key word in our text. And as we go forward, we're going to use sometimes the word covenant or testament. Uh, We'll use them interchangeably. First, I want to look at and think about with you some similarities as we think about the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, the, the Old Testament, the New Testament, as we look at the whole Bible together. Both covenants, new and old, are primarily about this. They are about the relationship between God and people. There's a, a little thing called the covenant formula in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. It's this, I am your God, you are my people. That's what we call the covenant formula. And that's about the relationship between God and people and his people. Belonging to God, in other words, are what Old Testament and New Testament are both about. Belonging to God, being in a relationship with God, that's what the Bible, our ultimate point of reference, is about. Another similarity, both Old and New Covenants were written down. They needed to be listened to and obeyed and followed. So when in the Old Testament talks about listening to God's word, obeying God's word, that's for you too. Us living in New Testament, New Covenant times. Both covenants, a third similarity, both were redemptive. And that means they were about saving people. They're both about saving people lost and separated from God. That's why verse 32 talks about God leading the people out of Egypt. It says, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers. And then you'd think the thing, you know, talking about the covenant, you're going to talk about Sinai, the writing of the law, right? But it doesn't talk about Sinai. It talks about taking them out of Egypt. And the focus is there because the covenant is especially about saving people. And that's what that shows us. God saved his people from slavery. Both covenants, too, were about forgiveness from sin. That's what people need now and people needed then. There were all those sacrifices all the time. That was all about needing forgiveness of sin. There were sin offerings, there was the day of atonement, and so on. So when the Bible in the Old Testament says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his tran- your transgressions from us, that's for you too today as a Christian. Both covenants, one more similarity, both covenants also were about salvation by grace alone. And that's a big one, and that's important, because it shows us why, especially, the Old Testament is, can be and is still so 
relevant to us. When you read about all those sacrifices and, and all that sort of stuff, some people make the mistake of saying or thinking, well, people were saved by works in the Old Testament because they had to do a whole lot more stuff than us. They'll say that was a works righteousness covenant, and now we're, we have grace. Well, not exactly. People were saved by grace too. It wasn't anything that they did. All the tender love of God that we need to be saved, they needed too. It's not like God was a mean, legalistic God then and he's a loving God now. No, they needed the love of God and God showed them his love. It's right in our text, actually, in verse 32. Referring back to the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, what does God say? I was a husband to them. Does that sound like a harsh, mean word? No, that's a very intimate, special, loving word, a husband loving a wife. God's people were saved by God's grace in the Old Testament too, just like us. And that's why the Old Testament is so relevant to us. The Old Testament is so important because of all these similarities between how God works with his people then and now. It's not like the Old Testament's not relevant, has nothing to say. It has a whole lot to say. However, there are important differences too, thank goodness, because the Old Covenant did end in failure. So there need to be differences, and there are. Verse 32, the New Covenant will not be like the Old. That's what Jeremiah's sermon tells us. The New will not be like the old. How is it new? How is it better? Well, the old covenant couldn't be kept. The people kept failing. They, they'd come back and do okay for a little while, but they just kept messing up. That would, that's what's so discouraging and depressing as we go along in this story. And I know in our sermons, we've always been looking to the hope and grace of God. But as you go on, uh, chronologically in the Old Testament, it's downright depressing because they kept messing up. The Old Covenant ended in failure. And so in the New, there's success because Christ kept the covenant for us and fulfilled it. Because of Christ who kept the covenant, when we belong to Jesus, it's just as if we kept it too instead of failing like the Old Testament people. Another, another difference is that the old was especially for one nation, but the new is for all nations. Now, the old was supposed to be for all nations. Uh, you know, we think of it just for Israel. The old covenant, it was supposed to be for the whole world. Did you know that? That was God's promise to Abraham and Ruth and Rahab, who were part of God's people, who were brought in, even though they weren't Israelites, they were foreigners, that was a sign of what was supposed to happen. But Israel dropped the ball there, too, as in everything else. They were to be a light to the nation so everyone would know the true God. But they were not a light at all. And so God took care of that in the new covenant too. He sent Jesus, and at Pentecost, he blew the roof off 
all tribes, all tongues, and he took care of that. And when you see in our text, it talks about the house of Israel, the house of Judah. There'll be a new covenant with them. Verse 33, it says it. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. How most people understand it is that refers to all of us today, not just Israelites. Because Paul tells us if we're in Jesus, we're Abraham's seed. So this isn't ethnic Israel anymore in the new covenant. Another, another difference, the new covenant is an eternal and it's a lasting covenant. Isaiah 61 says it, the psalm we read at the beginning of the service said it, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. The new covenant, that's the one that we're living under, it has no possibility of being annulled. It's irrevocable. It's definitive. God has made absolutely sure that the failure of the Old Testament people won't happen again. It would happen again if it were just up to people. But he made sure that it won't happen again in Jesus. We see it in his sacrifice. It's a once-for-all sacrifice. Unlike those sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were continual. They happened morning and evening, day in, day out, all the time, killing those animals. But then it ended. Jesus came as the sacrifice for sin. It's a done deal. And that's really important. That's one of the reasons why the Catholic view of the Lord's Supper is so problematic. Catholics believe, you know, that every time the Mass is celebrated, Jesus mysteriously is sacrificed again. They don't believe in the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ. Every time the Mass is celebrated, this is Catholic faith, Jesus is re-sacrificed. But that's no good. That, how is that different from Old Testament times when the sacrifices were done week after week? We don't need that. It ends in failure. People need a done deal sacrifice. And that's what we really have in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It's secure. It's eternal. It can't be ended like the Old Covenant ended. Finally, the new covenant is not on, it's written, they're both written, but the new one isn't written on stone tablets, but it's written on our hearts. The covenant, it's written on our hearts. It's the same law, it's, the, it's written down, it's to be followed, so there are similarities here. The law is never abolished, or destroyed, Jeremiah doesn't ever condemn the law or the covenant. Jeremiah condemns the people for not keeping it. So the law isn't abolished. The difference is it's written on our hearts now. That's a difference. That's a pretty incredible truth, and we're going to dig into that for just a few minutes because 
this transformation of the hearts of people from our inside out, that is one of the most wonderful and vital and amazing things about the new covenant in Jesus, the covenant that we live under. Now, you'll hear about the heart in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. God expected and wanted people's hearts to be changed. The law of God was to be in people's hearts. But here's the difference, and there are a lot of texts in Deuteronomy especially that talk about it. Here's the difference. Now, as Jeremiah says, God himself puts it in our minds and writes it in our hearts. God himself does it, puts it right in us. To understand this fully, we have to connect verse 34 to that verse 33 that talks about writing it on their hearts. And I I wonder if you caught this when we read it. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord. So no longer will a man teach. And that's talking about us today. Ever thought about what that, what that means? What does that mean, that there'll be no one to teach his neighbor or brother know the Lord? Do we not need to have teaching today? Do we not really need pastors? Do I really need to think of another career? Here's what's going on. There was a te- an office a task of teacher in the Old Testament. There were all kinds of teachers in the Old Testament. And their task was to be a covenant mediator. A mediator is a go-between, right? Jesus is our mediator. These teachers in the Old Testament were to be covenant mediators. God, people, covenant mediators, teachers. Moses is talked about as the teacher of Israel and a mediator of the covenant. Same with the Levites, the priests, the prophets. There were huge swaths of people who were needed to be go-betweens, to be covenant mediators. God's will was communicated through them. The people at Sinai were terrified, scared to death of God. Only Moses had the relationship and fellowship with God, not the people. And when it comes down to it, the people in that old covenant could only have a relationship with God through these other people, through mediators. And now it's very different. There's no need for that. The smallest of us to the greatest can know the Lord immediately or directly. The main purpose, the main goal of God's covenant is so that there would be oneness between you and your God. Remember that covenant formula? I am your God, you are my people. It's about that oneness, that connection, that relationship. That's the covenant formula, that's the covenant goal. That connection between you and God has been interrupted by sin. The new covenant creates it again. 
So you see that big limitation of Old Testament times, that big limitation of, an, of the Old Covenant built on human mediators. You could only get so close to God. God could be their God, but it was only through these others. What's radical about this little sermon from Jeremiah is contrary to everything in the entire experience of God's people in Old Testament times, in terms of the role of the mediator, is done. They only experienced God through mediators. Now, the knowledge of God is to be the immediate possession of every person in the new covenant. For you too, that is possible. And it's because of Jesus. We're in that day that Jeremiah told about here. Through Jesus, we experience that immediate knowledge of God. That doesn't mean we don't need teachers or preachers in the new covenant. But it does mean every believer, in a very real way, you are your own priest. You are your own interpreter of Scripture in this sense. Teachers... Preachers, office bearers, elders and deacons, we are here to assist people in realizing that direct fellowship that people can experience with God through the provisions of the new covenant. Helping people, helping you have that close relationship with God that is possible in Jesus. So that's the dramatic message, that's the newness of the New Testament and the New Covenant. Actual fellowship with God himself through Jesus the Son. We're called sometimes in the Bible, the bride of Christ. And there's a reason for that. We're used to that, we've heard it. But if you really stop for a moment and think about it, that's very startling language. The Bible wants us to think about that special union between husband and wife, that oneness. There's nothing else like it in this world. There's nothing like knowing someone in that way. So God gives you that picture. God gives you that picture. I'm not giving it to you. God gives you that picture to help you understand the relationship that you are to have with your heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. Oneness, intimate fellowship, intimate knowledge. You can have that. And it's a fellowship that can never be broken. It will see you through everything this life has to bring. Even Seeing a family this weekend again, laying a loved one to rest. It's seeing them through too. You can have that relationship with God, which is the goal of God for people throughout all of history. And well, it will be into glory to be with Him, to know Him. You just got to believe in Jesus. And because of that especially, 
you are in a better position today than spiritual greats like Moses, like David, and even this amazing guy, Daniel, we've been learning about. You, the smallest of you, to the greatest of you, you are in a better position, a more privileged position than any of them. Isn't God good to us? This, that is the main message of God's word. God's word, our ultimate point of reference. May it function like that in your life so that you receive grace and salvation from God and so that you're growing in that close walk with God. How, how close is your walk with God anyway today? Huh? You're in a privileged position. You can have direct communication and fellowship with our Father who is in heaven because of Jesus. Live closely to him, will you?